Before we get to today's episode, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, Paperly. Paperly fills the gap in your traditional SIS or LMS and can save your school time and money. So check out their website at paperly.io. And before we get to today's show, I just want to let the audience know that this episode was recorded live at the Innovation and Education Festival in Perth late last year. So you'll notice a little bit of a difference in the recording quality. And if you'd like EdLeaders at your next live event, then send us an email, the team at edleaders.com.au. We'd also like to thank our supporting sponsor at the conference, Schoolbox, the all-in-one LMS for your school needs. Check them out at schoolbox.com.au. Now let's get to today's live show. Can you hear me? Excellent. Oh, All right. right. Uh, just before we get started, just a quick little uh, wrap of where we've come from, our journey with Ed Leaders. Uh, we started two or three years ago uh, with Matt and I sitting basically in a closet, uh, just talking. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, a bit, that sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Uh, basically recording a couple of podcasts by ourselves. Um, and that kind of has evolved over the last couple of years into a mastermind group that we've run this year, uh, a couple of events uh, on the East Coast. Uh, as Matt said, sponsored by CompNow, we've got some friends with Paperly and, of course, thank you to Schoolbox. Where we want to go, we're creating an impact list for educators across the country next year. I guess what really started it for us was this notion of where do we have authentic conversations about education and where can you have a conversation or where do you hear conversations with leaders that are not in your own school? And so that was really one of the, one of the fundamental notions of where we started. And, and I think we've been on a journey to continue to share what leaders are doing in other schools to help other leaders on their journey as well. So uh, with that, are we ready, everybody? Excellent. All right. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Welcome to Ed Leaders, a podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Kelly, joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. Now, I'm sure you've felt it, Matt. The energy has been building all day. It's been building to this point. We're about to raise the roof. We're about to raise the roof in front of the thousands here in the live audience. Thousands of people. Thousands. Here we go. Are you excited? I'm so excited. Let's get cracking. All right. Today, well, we have two guests. The first guest is actually our first returning guest. We have Rocky Collins, principal of Cedar College and former manager of BCG Group, which is one of the largest integrated construction companies here in Perth and now board member at Cedar. Graham Dix. Please make them feel welcome. And today, Matt, we are talking all about how to create authentic relationships with industry. Absolutely. Can't wait to, to have some insights into how we do this and we do it better here uh, where we are in WA. Excellent. So without further ado, let's get to it. Graham Rocky, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Now, Graham, I'm going to start with you. Talk to us about your business background. Uh, and your own family's journey through the schooling system potentially over the last few years? Yeah, I've got a bit of a diverse background, uh, mainly all in commercial acumen and strategy and uh, uh, working in building businesses. And I'll apologise in advance, so I uh, started up Sony PlayStation in Australia. So that was my lead into commercial acumen. I had a brilliant CEO who actually showed me how to actually structure businesses to succeed, and that was an eight-year journey. But it's quite funny, at the start of that journey, he said to me, enjoy it while you can, because in eight years you won't have a job. And we all looked at him and went, 
He goes, well, in eight years' time, everything will be online and we won't need you. So it was a great eight years, by the way. (laughs) 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 And and that led through to obviously working in for the West Australian Football Commission um, from a sporting uh, recreational background. Again, doing commercial acumen, setting up stadium procurement, um, setting up commercial TV rights to football and things like that. And then, interestingly enough, ended up in construction. And so you can see, just from a commercial background, it's quite diverse uh, where I've gone. And for BGC, they asked me to come across and actually set up their apprenticeship and traineeship program. They were the biggest builder in Western Australia and the biggest manufacturing arm of building goods, but didn't have an apprenticeship or traineeship arm. So I went across and uh, set that division up for them. Um, and my interest of that came, one, I, I knew Rocky from the West Australian Football Commission days, but also having uh, uh, two uh, children come through, just come out of um, high school. My son uh, is now an electrician um, and my daughter uh, went on to WAPA. But if, if I use my son as the best example of trades, um, he came out of year 11 and 12 with an ATAR, got, got into... Um, university and the day before he was due to start university he turned to me and said dad it's not what I want to do and I said well what do you want to do he goes I don't know but I want to work with my hands so that meant starting a program of actually giving him some experience and some experience where he can make an informed decision so I was lucky enough that I knew people within the industry that I could my son could go and spend a month or or six weeks with one type of trade, six weeks with another type of trade, and get a real feel for what that was about. He finally chose um, electrical, and now he's you know, moved into, and he's now qualified. He's earning more than his dad, which is good. And, uh, and, uh, and you know, he's 25 and bought his first block of land due to the money that is you know, in that area of the business. So, yeah, so kind of like a bit of a journey there. Excellent. And Rocky, to you, um, from model student uh, to um, amazing innovative school leader uh, and to CEDA, I wonder if you could sort of describe a little bit of your journey. Um, uh, there's quite a bit in there. Yeah, there's a little bit in there. Model student is definitely not one that come up. Um, <laughs> my journey as a student was I was actually expelled from three schools. So definitely not a model student. Um, so I, I had a, a really disengaged experience at school. Um, and that sort of, uh, I was often told it was about being a disengaged learner. Um, but the reality is I got an over 98 ATAR. So I wasn't a disengaged learner, despite being told that m- numerous times. I was just a disengaged person at school. So that was sort of a, a really difficult time. And, and being a disengaged person in a, in a system where you spend so many hours, it, it led me to being probably to have a, a little bit of, um, lack of pathway, not sure where I'm wanting to go and I had these people around me at my school who I was disengaged with who were entrusted to try and help and support me and guide me and there was this disconnection. So that, that was really challenging. So I sort of fumbled out of uh, year 12 and had no idea what to do, just loved sport, um, loved fitness, those sorts of things. So um, not knowing what I wanted to do, like every other person, you go into an exercise science degree. <laughs> um, so I went and did that. Uh, and it wasn't until I think my third year where you had to finally do something outside of exercise science because your science degree is finishing. Um, and I had a, a great mentor at uni and he just said, you should try teaching, Rocky, you'll love it. And I just went, I get lost, I was expelled from schools and I hate schools and I hate teachers and all these sort of things. Um, and he said, it's, 
your experience as a student is very different to your experience as a teacher and, and maybe it can be the change that you're looking for. So um, I very reluctantly went, all right, I'll give it a crack um, and, and did my first prac at a, um, a difficult, very high multicultural, very low SES school in northern suburbs of Melbourne and just fell in love instantly and went, hang on a second, this is exactly what I want to do. So went through the schooling system and, um, yeah, journeyed through um, – government schools, non-government schools, through Catholic sector, through private sector, and, and that in itself was another journey of investigation and curiosity and finding out where I wanted to be as a teacher and, and what I wanted to do and, and what a teacher actually is in my eyes. Um, and so, yeah, fumbled across that journey and, and then stumbled across CEDA, which really aligned to me and what I thought teaching needed to be and um, shifting the focus from a disengaged learner to a disengaged person and shifting the focus from... Um, teacher student to, to mentor a young person. Um, and I've been here for 10 years now. Fantastic. Thank you. Now, for those of you who don't know out there, uh, Rocky and Cedar have a partnership that they're creating uh, for next year with ECG. So, Graham, I want to ask you about that first phone call or that first conversation where Rocky came to you. In my head, it probably went, I want to start a school. And you said, no problem. How was that like? What was that really like? <laughs> uh, yeah, it probably wasn't that far in advance, really. <laughs> no, for me, it was uh, one of the things I spoke to Rocky about. I said, um, Rocky, one of the biggest issues is we don't have children engaged enough in our industry for long enough to truly understand it. So if we have to build a curriculum around the current model, BGC is not interested because it won't suit and we'll just go down the same pathway. We have to build a whole new model, one where the students actually get to understand the industry they're going into. And by the way, if you have 30 students go into this program and only 10 of them say, I want to go into construction, that's fine. Providing they get through their educational piece, they get their qualification, they now actually have made, you've got your 10 that are really looped into the industry that they want to be in. And, and, for, and what that will start to do is alleviate the problem of apprentices. So what a lot of people didn't realise is that 62% of all apprentices drop out in the first six months. So what that told us as an industry, they were actually using it as a trial. They weren't understanding the industry to, to begin with. So you can imagine the investment from a business into those apprentices only for them to go, this really isn't for me. And within the first six months, you lose them. So that first phone call was, yes, we're definitely interested, but we have to do something different to, to um, get the right people. And it's okay if they, if they don't want to be in the industry. That's okay. At least they, they know that that's an industry they don't want to be in. And Rocky, from your perspective, it'd be really interesting to hear um, why, um, partner, what a, what a what were you sort of chasing and, and was it around that disengaged student and that pathway piece um, that CEDA provides? Yeah, the partnerships one is really interesting. We obviously have other partners in our sport and recreation space at the moment and um, people often ask, well, how do, you, how do you decide who you're going to partner with? Forget about the industry for a second and what industry you want to go down, but once you decide the industry, who do you pick as your partner? So if I use construction... You know, we, we talked around, you know, Dale Lecock and ABN and we talked around BGC and we talked around a whole lot of others. And, and what it goes back to for us, first and foremost, is, is an alignment of, of vision and values. 
Um, we need to make sure you mentioned earlier culture, the importance of culture. It's, it's huge for us and it's, it's massive in our classrooms right through to our board level. And we needed to make sure there was some synergy between what we were trying to achieve in our vision as well as what that, that partner was trying to achieve. So when we had these discussions with these, uh, you do a bit of research, obviously, you, you talk to people and, and then you start going and engaging with those potential partners. Um, and you start to pick apart, well, what is your vision? Why do you, why do you see the appeal in, in our model and what we're trying to do? And so it's a little bit like a, a first date or two. And I reckon ours might have been over a beer. <laughs> um, and, and so yeah, we, first and foremost, we're looking for that, that alignment of vision and values. Um, and once you've got that alignment, um, which is what we had very quickly with BGC and, and ironically, um, our values are almost identical. Our five values we stand for as a college is very similar to the BGCs. Um, once you've got that, you, you know the culture's right and you know then you can be truly innovative um, because you're on the same journey, you've got the same vision. Um, and then it's about working out nuts and bolts. So that, that's where we start with our partnerships is, is there a shared vision and values? Because if there isn't, it's just going to be heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. You're going to keep hitting hurdles as you try and be innovative. Um, and you're not going to work through those hurdles together because you're on two different paths. And talk to us a little bit then about hurdles. You know, because with every partnership and every arrangement and every change process and innovation, there are obstacles and hurdles along the way. What ones have you experienced? Maybe with this partnership, but maybe others. And yeah, no, look, it's, I think the great thing about, um, us in, in being new and young as a college is, um, we don't have a lot of tradition that is sometimes hamstring. Um, so we can, we can do things quite creative and innovative, innovatively without maybe the, some of the hurdles that come up with just with being a traditional college that's been around for a hundred years. There's some beauty around tradition, absolutely. So I don't devalue that, but there's also, there can be some hurdles that come just from tradition. We don't have that, which is nice. Most of the hurdles that we face are more system level. Um, and again, I think for us, we made it really clear when we registered as a school 18 months ago um, that we don't, this is our vision, this is what we stand for, and we don't want to be doing other things that other schools are doing. There's a place for those schools and there's a place for those young people and, and that's where they should be going. We just want to offer something different, not a competition, something different. And so the, I think the hurdles we most commonly face are those that are placed on us from a sector level. Um, well, what do you mean you've got 550 students and they're not on one campus and they're not, and they're going to classroom every day at BGC's facilities? What do you mean that the curriculum is totally based around industry and you're teaching English but contextualising it to building and trade and you're teaching persuasive language through sales pitches? Um, so they're generally the hurdles we, we face quite frequently and, and initially is the system level, sector level hurdles. Um, and then when it comes to the, the more fundamentally the, the partnership, um, I must admit we haven't had too many to date. The ones that do commonly come up um, in others are really about when there is some sort of misalignment between the values and the vision of the two organisations. And often that can come through the, the key stakeholders of our organisation, which are our kids. So, you know, I'm plastering 500 students in uh, West Coast Eagles uniforms and you can imagine that teenagers don't always behave the way they need to. So that's, there's a misalignment straight away and we need to work through that and navigate it. But what happens pretty quickly is we all understand and go back to this is our vision um, and our students and parents need to be on board there. So let's work through it. Their teenagers are going to make mistakes. How do we help them better? Cool. Thank you. I'm really interested in that journey from that first phone call to kind of now and the resources that it's taken from a company like BCG to go through that journey and also the resources that you're creating then for next year? Yeah, look, believe it or not, it wasn't that difficult. There wasn't a lot of resource. It was more BGC. Our idea of could 
the, the model work best for BGC. So we were putting forward, what if we build classrooms for you in one of our facilities so your students actually come to school at our facility but they see the work as they do and they integrate with your managers, your supervisors. Um, so from a resource point of view, yeah, we offered up that we would build classrooms, but certainly it didn't have to be done that way. Um, we saw that as a, as, as a great way to integrate the students into this holistic program that we were trying to create. So from early in the piece, um, yeah, we had some hurdles. We did some budgeting. Um, we, we went through all that. Um, but between the two of us, we, there, there wasn't that, uh, we were quite surprised that there wasn't that many hurdles, even from that uh, uh, side of it. And that's because you had two partners that wanted to make it work. So, you know, and, and when we're talking investment into classrooms, we chose to do that. We didn't have to do that. So if you took the classrooms out, you know, um, it was a very small outlay of money um, and everyone gets concerned around that, and I understand. But when you have two partners wanting to go down and get the same outcome for the students, um, then all of a sudden it's very easy when we pitch to the CEO um, of, of BGC, the classroom idea, he, he was on board because he was he wanted this to work. So he just you know took it straight to the board and it had his endorsement on it. So, um, yeah, so for us, as Rocky said, there wasn't that many hurdles because we'd done a lot of homework in the beginning to make sure that we could align, that, that we weren't going to upset the curriculum outcomes because we understood that the students have to get their qualification. That's the be-all and end-all of school. You have to come out, but we're going to create this year 11 and 12 model where they're going to get so much experience in this industry that they'll be able to make some informed decisions about whether they want to be there or they don't want to be there. And that's that was the way we looked at it. We did have measurements long term and, and still do because we will measure beyond one who stays, who, who we pick up into an apprenticeship or who then stays in that and then who then can go beyond that. So the model actually went beyond just, uh, you know, putting them through a year 11 and 12. And what I mean by that is, Universities do a great job of telling everyone, if you get this degree, where can I be? And they, they show you and they do a great job of that. We failed desperately in that. So if you become an apprentice bricklayer, what can you become? We start, our, our whole program that we're working is this is what you can become. And the alternatives when you actually start to look at once they've got their trade of what they can become is as big as what a university would offer. And in actual fact, we started to, the, 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 the chart that we were filling out became too big <laughs> because there was all these options because people forget that at the back end of the business, there's manufacturing. So you all of a sudden have administration, you have estimation, you have scheduling, you have sales, you have marketing, you have all that's at the back end of a building business and no one ever sees that. But that's where the students can interconnect. So like we said, if they don't want to be the bricklayers or the carpenters of the world, maybe they're going to be the marketers of the of the bricks. So um, it was actually, you know, expanding that out and having that vision together. So it didn't really create those hurdles at the very start. I think, Luke, you, sorry, mate, you mentioned resourcing in particular. And one of the things that's interesting, resourcing is time and money. Um, money can always be recuperated. You spend, invest more money into something, you can get it back some way, shape or form. It's, it can happen. Time you can't. 
And so when, I, when Graham says it's low resourcing, it is from that perspective of, of financially, but time, we would have spent, I know I would have spent whew, weeks and weeks and weeks visiting every single general manager, CEO, uh, to make sure the vision values was connected, the ethos was shared and those sort of things before you invested in going down that path. So from a time perspective, the resource was incredibly significant. Now that's really difficult in a school setting when you want to get it right and you, you need to make sure it's perfect. So you, what you, for me, it was me as a principal investing weeks and weeks of, you know, full days um, in BJC's organisation to make sure that the program was right, that the relationship was right. So that's when we talk resourcing from a time perspective, huge. Um, you, you could, you know, you could have a business manager or you could have a business development manager where you go, you know, I'm just going to outsource that. I'm going to pay somebody to come in and, and develop that relationship with Graham. But fundamentally, um, the principal is responsible for the strategic direction of the college and the vision and the values. So I need to make sure that relationship's there. So there is a significant time investment and, and that's hard in schools. When we work in schools, we don't have much time. So you need to be prepared to invest it. Yeah. And we've been now sort of starting to talk about the, the learner experience from being at um, BCG and, you know, showing them lots of options and really um, being embedded in an authentic experience so that they know what they're actually getting into. Rocky, I'm wondering if you could um, sort of just describe then what a day in the life of a child or a student <laughs> looks like should they be um, part of this program. You can't because um, literally every day is different. Um, but if I think about more... One like, example. One yeah. Example. So students fundamentally every day, they'll go... So in the morning, they won't go to what they envision as school. They'll go to BGC's facility. So they will head there straight away, interact with their staff before they've probably even spoken to their teacher. So already they're getting this real authentic engagement with the industry as a whole in terms of the, the, the organisation um, and attending that venue but also then their staff before they've even interacted with a, a college member of staff. So there's that straight away, there's that industry exposure and that industry connection, which is fantastic. So they walk in, they'll meet their teacher. We have a one teacher model. So they only have that one teacher full time. They're not chopping and changing teachers between subjects and things like that. Um, they're that consistent mentor. They might walk into a classroom um, and they are structured like classrooms, you know, desks, chairs, whiteboards, etc. Um, and they will start um, a day which might be, and it often starts with the development of the person. So I talked about my experience earlier being in, being labelled as a disengaged learner, but was actually a disengaged person. So our school starts every single day with the investment in the person. So we're talking, what we, we call it my development. And so what we're doing is we're talking about those capabilities, those soft skills, whatever people want to call them, we call them my skills. Um, the development of the empathy, the resilience, the teamwork, the communication, and we're trying to contextualise it again to the construction industry. So we might start our day with that. Um, and then we might move into some of that more traditional teaching and learning. But from there, it might be, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of working through, I don't know, we might be looking at, at a mathematic problem um, and going through measuring an area. And then we can literally say, pardon the pun, tools down, pens down. We're going to go next door into the workshop in your groups of six, um, grab some timber, grab a drop saw. I want you to build the area you were just working on. Uh, that ability to really take their, their more traditional form of learning of, you know, writing notes, listening to a teacher, looking at presentations and then go and actually apply it. You've got half an hour, off you go. Um, and then let's go back into the classroom and now let's reflect on it. Whose model was garbage and we got it really wrong? Um, or who got it really right and, and why and how can we share that? So the day sort of models in and out of that. Um, and the greatest thing is at any given time, we're at the BJC facility. So somebody just randomly pops their head in and says, oh, what are you teaching? Oh, we're teaching um, resume writing. Great, I'll just go and grab the person from HR. They might just come down and 
take half an hour of your class if you don't mind. Yep, absolutely, come on down. Um, so we're trying to build a, a timetable and empower our staff to be flexible and, and flex that timetable as need be to incorporate the industry that can just indirectly um, come in and, and pop there and, and all of a sudden deliver this lesson on resume writing because they're from the HR team. So that's sort of cool. what a day usually looks like. Um, Who wants to work in a school like that? Anyone? <laughs> Hopefully there's a couple of our teachers. <laughs> Graham, uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, I think you said 62% of graduates kind of like, or, uh, trade, people coming into a trade, uh, leaving. Yep. What are you seeing in those 62% that are, you know, of that talent, that talent pipeline that schools that are feeding that maybe need to spend more time on to see that, you know, percentage shift or what those graduates are coming in with who are succeeding? Yeah. Um, that's an interesting question. Um, if I put it down to, when I was at BGC, I used to get around 60 phone calls a week from schools asking to put kids into work experience. Now, we're a big business, but that's a lot of resource that you have to put out for a person that in the current model comes in one day a week. So we kind of like pushed back and said, no, we don't do work experience in that, in that respect. So by by actually um, creating this model around um, being able to spend more time, um, it, it, it alleviates this issue of, of, of the students not only spending one day a week. You can't set out a full program. You can't give them true exposure to the role. And this doesn't mean not just about trade. This is also if they decide to go into a, in a paraprofessional uh, side of things as well. It doesn't give them a true indication of what they actually need to do. So, yeah, so we, at the end of the day, this is why we said we need to change the model at the end of the day. So I don't know if I really answered your question. It was funny, actually. I was just thinking when you asked that question, Luke, I remember going into a conversation with the GM. I can't remember his name now. Very handsome man, big beard. Bricklayer by trade. Oh, uh, yeah, Simon. Simon. Um, and I said to Simon... <laughs> very handsome. No, I'm straight away. Very, very handsome. handsome. <laughs> um, Oh, we were chatting about work experience and, and talking about where sometimes, why these apprentices are dropping out. And he said to me, Rocky, um, I have a, a, a student come in, he does one day a week, um, and he thinks he knows what it's like to be a bricklayer, or she thinks she knows what it's like to be a bricklayer, which is awesome. They then become first year apprentice. And the bricklaying experience they've had one day a week is very shallow. And then it's paired with their vocational qualification one day a week, also very, very shallow. So then they get to, and it might be a lovely experience because you, most workplaces want those young people to have this great experience. So then they come to me as a first year apprentice on site and they realise getting up every day at 5am is bloody hard. And often they do their school um, work placements in, you know, sort of um, either a two-week block or across the course of the year. And it might be a lovely time of the year. Every Monday might be in the middle of spring and be beautiful. And then you start your first year apprenticeship in generally January and lifting bricks every single morning at 5am in January is bloody hard work. And so you said that's, there's these shallow experiences that currently happen for our industry that are then leading to this big dropout rate in, in um, first year apprentices. He said, oh. so we don't really want a program and BJC is saying we don't want a program unless we can give them so much more than the shallow experience they're getting. And I think that's perception of everyone is that a brick is, you know, buttering up a brick and laying it down. It's actually not that. There's actually mathematical calculations. Bricks have a variance in them. They have to lay them at a certain distance. So quite often too, we, people, uh, young, young students that aren't the higher qualified students are pushed into a trade. 
I probably put it to parents in another way. You could be spending $300,000 on your house to build or a million. It doesn't matter. It's your life savings. Do you want a fairly smart person that knows what they're doing building it or, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, the dumbest person? No, you don't because it's your life savings about to be outlaid on, on, on your, what's going to be your pride and joy. So what by creating this experience... What you create is um, uh, you, you create an experience of it's not just buttering a brick and laying it down in a straight line. It is marking out. It is working out quantity. It is uh, it is working on structural integrity of the building, which only bricklayers and carpenters know, by the way. So if a, if a house falls down, it's usually the bricks or the roof. So that's why they become your supervisors and your future builders because I understand structural integrity. So, yeah, so the, there's, uh, that's the exposure they get. They start to get this broader understanding of it's not just standing in a shed at TAFE, as an example, and it's got a bit of air conditioning flowing through. It's not like that, but it also <laughs> gives you the other end. It's also another piece to that, and it's called business acumen, because eventually they're going to make a decision. Are they going to go supervisory? Are they going to go home builder? Are they going to go uh, out on their own? So, you know, the longer term was to build business acumen into that. How do I do, how do I set up an ABN? How do I do GST calculations? All those things are the next phase of where you go to. And now you come out with a successful um, business person rather than a, a what we relate to as a tradie. We'd like to take a quick break here to talk about our sponsor, Paperly. Paperly is an all-inclusive platform that helps teachers and staff save time. It's 100% Australian-owned and operated with seamless integrations into CIS platforms like Synergetic. But instead of taking our word for it, here's Peter Clem, Director of IoT at Wesley College. Integrating Paperly with our Synergetic setup was seamless. Dan and his team were very receptive to our feedback and helped us in bringing together a solution that supported our entire college community. We've enjoyed working with him and look forward to bringing our college IT shop online and into the 21st century. So check out Paperly at paperly.io. That's P-A-P-E-R-L-Y dot I-O to find out more. And now back to today's show. So it's fair to say, you know, when we look at traditional career and workplace learning, it is that one week or that one day and it is shallow and it's not giving us bang for buck, if you like. But more importantly, we're not creating deep and meaningful experiences for our students to be successful, both at school and beyond. Does that ring true? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They're not, they're not getting a deep and meaningful experience, which means they're not really able to make informed decisions like your son. Um, and so... The only way we can do that is to really immerse those, immerse our people, young people, or even as adults. Um, I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher until I fully immersed into it and went, hang on a second, this is for me. So, yeah, those real true, deep, rich, meaningful experiences that are genuinely connected to the industry and not just connected to, they are a part of, our students are a part of BGC. Um, they then provide them with the information, the skills, the expertise, the experiences that then lead them to make informed decisions. And as Graham said, sometimes it's, this is not for me and that is okay. Um, they learn that at the end of or during their school process when they've still got a support network around them as opposed to learning it, you know, three months into your apprenticeship and you no longer have maybe the mentors around you from a school to support you and go, what's next? Where do I go from here? Yeah. And so looking to the future, 
What's the next five years look like for, for Cedar? It's a good question. I'm probably not a good person to ask. Um, I get very innovative and very creative. Seed astronaut program. No, look, like, <laughs> bring it on. Um, no, look, we, we've um, we've actually just gone through a, a strategic planning period, um, which has been wonderful, and, and we've really identified. We are still in its infancy as a college. We are 550 students in Year 11 and 12, which is very scary for an 18-month-old college. Um, so we're really going through a process of collecting insights, um, making sure we're making really informed decisions. So a bit of a we're calling it operational consolidation, um, and part of that collection of insights is. What is, what is the next industry? So we've gone in sport and rec, we're going down the building and trade pathway. Um, we've got a few that we've earmarked and I won't share with the wider people because we'll get them stolen. So, <laughs> yeah. but you know, what, what, is, what is the industry that may suit our yeah. needs, our learning, um, our vision, our values and, and where our students can then fit in that industry? Cool. And Graham, uh, five years, 10 years into the future for this particular program, what would you love to see it being? Uh, expanded out broader. Um, for us, uh, bricklaying and, and carpentry is the start of where it needs to go. Um, we would like to see exposure across all forms of trade. BGC is in a very lucky position that it has a manufacturing arm, so it can broaden out to um, mechanical fitting, electrical, industrial electrical over residential electrical. Um, uh, it can broaden out to uh, diesel mechanics. It can broaden out to then graduate programs into into university for engineering degrees, which we're linking the curriculum to that. So, um, yeah, so for me, it is, uh, you know, the, the broader we can make it for the industry, the better the experience again for the student, and then they can make an informed decision. And, and look, we get the, we get the benefits of that because the whole idea is that we get the first choice of those students because we've interacted with them for two years. So, you know, so it's, there was, you know, that behind the scenes. Good HR approach. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our future pipeline, future <laughs> pipeline coming through. But it's never just been about BGC. BGC put this together for industry. So, uh, we, we were already starting to speak to other, um, builders that they could start to get involved. And if they wanted to use the back end of BGC, that we would allow them access into. When I mean the back end, BGC, has quarries where it creates the raw material, has cement plants, it has a transport hub, uh, it has, you know, Midland brick, it has plasterboard, it has all these different divisions that you can expose the students to that uh, we would open to the other builders within the industry that the students could then experience those areas as well. So it was never just about VGC. We were kind of like the on the starting line first, so to speak. It is more about a broader opening for industry to be involved, and, and we would love to see 500 students involved in the building and construction industry at CEDAR in, in multiple builders, um, and, and of that, you know, a, a percentage of those students are entering that, that pathway. That's certainly uh, an amazing vision that you have there. Mm. Now, if you've listened to the podcast, you'll know that my favourite closing segment is the Quick Fire Five where nobody ever listens to the rules, and today we've actually got six questions, so that's good. <laughs> so with that, the rules are, it's the first thought bubble that pops into your head. Quick fire means quick answer. We got that? Yep. Good. Maybe. All right. Are we clear? All right, we're clear. Good. Matt, <laughs> no, me, good. No, you don't. All right. <laughs> what, Rocky, what narrative has been overrated or underrated in the last 10 years in education? ATA. 
Overrated. Anyone agree? Yeah, okay. Got a few backers there. Graham, if you could change one rule or one thing in education, what would it be? Um, probably wouldn't be a rule. It would be more a mindset that your last two years for your students gives you the ability to expose them to so much more than a curriculum. Great answer. Rocky, the most interesting PD you've ever done? Principal wellbeing with Shane Glasson. Graham, what does student success look like for you? Uh, an understanding of what their opportunities are once they leave school. Rocky, most underrated role in a school. Now, you've got a few colleagues out there. So teachers. Yeah. <laughs> teachers. No, they're valued, but they, they're so much more than teachers. They're mentors, they're psychs, they're dietitians, they're everything. So we value them as a society, but I don't think we could ever value them enough. So Good answer, considering the audience out there. Well done. Well, well played. I'll and mention that in the Stark Engagement Survey. If you can just remember that, it'd be great. <laughs> and Graham, lastly, what does a good board culture look like in education? Um, good board culture. I would say that we've strong strategic plan and everyone on the same page and allowing, a bit, bit, bit broader, allowing your staff to do what they require to do to achieve it. I like it. Well, that brings an end to our show for today. I hope you've enjoyed our little chat with Rocky and Graham. Matt, closing comments. I love the idea uh, Rocky sort of shared about there has to be alignment in, in vision and values um, and the time invested in finding that, that out that you described um, shows how much work needs to go in before an innovation partnership like this can can um, form. The other piece is just really that, that authentic experience that we're setting up at BGC, that it's meaningful. It's about depth and breadth of experience. It's not shallow and it's just not a one-off. And for me, I really love that notion of, like you were talking about, we're doing one thing in one classroom, we go into the next room, we kind of add to that and kind of that experience overall is, is creating something much more meaningful and I think authentic uh, for the students. So I think that's uh, something that's exciting uh, with this program. Uh, Rocky and Graham, anything else you'd like to add before we close up? No, just thanks for having us again. It's always great to have you back. I am the second time back, which has been fun. So thank you for having us and letting us share our story. Thank you. Yeah. To both of you, thank you for giving up your time to come down to the festival today and be a part of our live podcast. To the audience, the thousands out there, thank you. You've been amazing. And please remember, if you haven't already subscribed to our show, Ed Leaders, get out your phone, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or if you've never listened to a podcast before, head over to our website at edleaders.comday.au where you can go back and have a look and a listen to our back catalogue, over 50 episodes. I suggest episode number 17, I think it is. With good Rocky. episode, really good episode. Really good episode, apparently. <laughs> uh, you can also follow Ed Leaders on LinkedIn, uh, where we'll keep you up to date with all the latest. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Go well. Go well.